This is the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast from Advanta IRA, where we show you how to explore investments beyond Wall Street and open your eyes to new options for your portfolio. It's time to take control and give yourself the freedom to choose where you invest your money. Thanks for joining us today for this edition of the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. Today, we're very pleased to welcome on Marty Greenbaum, who we're going to be digging into everything related to franchises and how to invest in different franchising models. So you want to stick around for that. Today on the download, some interesting news out of Washington, interesting, but maybe not surprising. Lo and behold, the government wants to increase the debt limit by $1.5 trillion, which is quite the hike. Um, You know, we've seen debt limit increases of hundreds of billions in the past, but this is probably the most substantial debt limit increase that we have seen in recent times. And it's going to be very interesting to watch and see just how, you know, this additional governmental spending affects everyday life. It's a little bit hard to always kind of correlate to see, you know, what's going to happen with government spending as it relates to different investments and markets. But if the government is ramping up spending, maybe it's a good indication that some things are starting to fare a little bit better. Uh, or maybe not. Maybe more money going out is not a good thing at all. Now, with regard to money coming in, we have news from Tesla. that They are reducing the price by almost 29% on some of their models from this point last year, which you know might be an indication that they are not, not selling as many as they hoped. Now, this is going to be something that is going to come out when we have quarterly earnings calls and we have some additional information that comes out. But if they're trying to slash prices, it would indicate that they are not selling at a higher price and maybe they're not selling nearly enough as well to uh, prop up the automate, the electric vehicle manufacturer. So something to wait and see. Now, lastly, big tech. It is hard to be in big tech. It's one of those things where the past two years have just been an absolute bloodbath for the tech sector. And really, it hasn't stopped. The photo sharing giant Instagram will cut relocate all of its London staff. They are essentially slashing all of the um, all of the staffers that they have in London by the tune of almost 10,000 positions that they're looking to get rid of. Now, of course, Instagram being part of Meta, which is the Facebook parent company, uh, it is definitely something that we're going to see a lot of pain in this sector. Now, with the potential for TikTok to be banned in the United States, it might help to prop up some of these rather languishing stocks such as Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, uh, that might actually start to do better if they have less competition. So again, definitely something to watch out for. But this has been it. And this is the downfall. Today, I'm what is what is a franchise? I figured since we're going to be interviewing someone specifically about franchising, it might be kind of good to get a uh, maybe a textbook answer as to what exactly a franchise is. We've all probably heard the term and you know, colloquially you know that the big golden arches that it's McDonald's is a franchise. But what exactly is a franchise? A franchise is a type of license that grants a franchisee access to a franchisor's proprietary business knowledge, processes, trademarks, thus allowing them the franchise the franchisee to sell a product or service under the franchisor's business name. In exchange for acquiring a franchise, the franchisee usually pays the franchisor an initial startup fee and annual licensing fees. This is a franchise, and this has been The What Ends.
So, Marty, thank you very much for being on with us today. I'm excited to talk about uh, everything to do with franchising. It's something that I'm sure that, you know, everyone's heard, oh, that's a McDonald's franchise, or, oh, hey, there's a Chick-fil-A, or, you know, there's a gym franchise down the road for me. Um, and I kind of grew up in, you know, a, a, you know, a franchising business world. So I have a little bit more understanding, but certainly not nearly as much as you probably do. So I'd really like to, you know, have an interesting dive on, you know, kind of the basics of, you know, starting with what is a franchise? What does that mean? Uh, and then getting into how this can be an actual investment vehicle for people to either supplant income, uh, to, you know, change the trajectory of where they're deriving most of their income from and all sorts of things that go into that, you know, being a good fit, how these things fare in recessions, how do you finance the startup costs? Because, you know, these things very widely in price point as well. So again, thank you very much for being on with us today and uh, give us a little bit of background about yourself and let's dive right into it. My pleasure. Uh, thanks for thanks so much for having me on. Um, just a little bit about me. I've been I'm 59 years old. I've been in franchising most of my life. My family started a franchise called PostNet. They're like UPS stores. My Actually, my brother Steve was on Undercover Boss. We opened up hundreds of them globally, and I eventually left that business and owned a uh, marketing agency. So I owned a marketing agency for years in franchising. I'm a certified franchise executive through the International Franchise Association, but I was involved and in, really entrenched in the franchising industry at every major event and show. I had over 120 clients or as franchisors like Ben and Jerry's and Smoothie King and Hertz Rent-A-Car, Remax, Fast Signs. I mean, so I was, most of my career, I've been helping franchise companies grow and position themselves to actually attract franchisees. Five years ago, I became a franchise consultant. Now what I do is I educate people on franchising and I help them find franchises that could be a good fit for them. Love what I do. And uh, so that's my background, and I'm definitely happy to share any of my knowledge of franchising, which is pretty deep, uh, with uh, you and your your fantastic audience. Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely something that, you know, I don't hear a whole lot about. You know, I, in my professional career, I, you know, run across this from time to time with how clients invest in in certain types of these. And I definitely want to get more involved in other aspects of this as well. Um, so yeah, let's dig into that. So, you know, kind of on a, on a real high level, you know, people, I think kind of think they know about franchises, but if someone were to come to you, you know, what is kind of the bullet points of, you know, what people are typically missing when they say, Hey, you know, tell me what a franchise is. Why should I be looking at this? Awesome. So yeah, listen, uh, I talk to so many people every day and you're right. Everybody, they see McDonald's. If I ask, if you ask, you know, like you said, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, usually they'll bring up Subway and, of course, fitness. But, you know, they, they it's fuzzy. They know that there's a an investment and they're paying royalties and it's a proven system and you have a brand and they're going to get training and support and so on. But past that, they don't know the details. So let me give you kind of a foundational understanding of franchising. OK, first of all, franchises were born out of entrepreneurs that had great ideas. Right. So somebody came up with a business. They were doing fantastic. You know, I, example, I don't know if you watch Diners, Drive-Ins and Dives oh, yeah. with Guy Fietti. So uh, there's a franchise called Day G. Day G is a Korean barbecue franchise. They started it because they got so much fame on Drivers, uh, 
driving tires and dives. They had so much rain. So they started it. And I'll tell you, you know, at first, think about it. Most franchisors, they're not great as franchisors because they're really good in their core business, but they have to, you know, now grow and almost become a separate company. So there's emerging franchisors. And by the way, Deji's doing very well. But there's there's startup franchises, there's emerging, there's, you know, uh, there's evolving, there's legacy brands. So there's this cycle of life in franchising. Here's, here's what you need to know, okay? Number one, 80% of independent businesses fail in the first five years. It's hard to start a business. Most people go into it not knowing what they're going into, not having everything nailed down, not, how, not knowing how much it's going to cost or how they're going to do marketing or something, right? And that causes failure, right? Now, franchises, they have it figured out. So at, its, at the core, okay, think about this. You have a brand that has something special that consumers love. They want to grow this nationally. They develop a franchise model. They build an infrastructure. The goal for a franchisor is to have successful stores. Now, if you're the franchisor and you started a franchise and it's going great, ultimately you want to take that whole franchise system one day and sell it for big money, right? So if you're going to do that, you have to make your franchisees successful. So franchisors look at their model and they distill down success on every level. So is marketing as, a, as effective as we can make it? Are the operations the best we could do? What technology do we need to streamline processes to create a better customer experience? Ultimately, franchisors, I don't care whether they're making sandwiches, fixing cars, or helping seniors, okay? Ultimately, they're in the business of royalty generation, okay? So we know in business that recurring revenues is everything, right? So franchisors, for them, this is the perfect recurring revenue model. Typically, a franchisee will pay 6 or 7% of gross sales to the franchisor over a 10-year franchise agreement, okay? So think about it. If they're doing a million dollars, it could be $60,000 a year times 10 years, $600,000. That's a lot of money. Multiply that by 500 franchisees and, oh, my God, you got a business that's amazing. And then a lot of private equity companies are driving, you know, are, are paying multiples, high multiples. But getting to you and in in, in our audience, why is that all important? It's important because you have all these resources focused on your success. So you're not in it alone. You've got, you know, plus, in addition, you have other franchisees that you could become friends with and learn best practices. So I know that was a big answer for a simple question, but I hope that was helpful. No, yeah, I think it definitely kind of illustrates the, you know, the taking kind of some of the guesswork out of it, because starting a business, uh, you know, is tough. Like you said, almost 80% of them fail and having something where you can be in business for yourself and be mostly your own boss. I mean, you're going to be beholden to franchise agreements and certain things, you know, you're not going to be able to, you know, buy a McDonald's franchise and say, I want to make the golden arches blue. But, you know, you do have that level of autonomy to where you are now kind of, you know, buying into a proven system as opposed to kind of throwing something at a wall and seeing what sticks. Now, <clears throat> 
from the perspective of you saying that, you know, there's there's the royalty that you have to pay, um, which I think is relatively easy to understand. You know, you have this, you have to pay a VIG for having the licensing agreements and everything. But as far as upfront costs too, you know, it's easy to say, okay, I'm paying money out of revenues I'm making. That's, you know, a lot easier of a pill to swallow than saying, hey, you know, I have to have X amount of capital. And I don't know, uh, you know, I've heard tangentially that McDonald's is like a million or whatever for a franchise. Um, you know, I'm sure they they vary all across the board. But, you know, let's kind of talk about, you know, we've kind of touched on the inherent, you know, initial benefits. Now, what are some of the capital outlays that people have to look at when they do these kind of things? So I'm sure it varies widely. And do they all kind of follow the same model? Are you buying into a franchise and it's just royalty? Is it something where you just buy the name, you have to build the building? I'm sure there's a lot of a big spectrum on that whole whole, whole array. So how does that look in? Are they, are they all different? Do they have some commonalities? Let's touch on that. Okay. So first of all, um, most of them, you don't buy a building. You're not having to build a building, all right? It's rare that you would have to. McDonald's and some of these bigger restaurant brands, yes, but think about it. There's just so many different categories of franchising, everything from fitness to senior care to automotive to IT tech, a lot of home services. I want to break down this conversation into two major categories. Let's talk about there's retail franchises, and that means that um, somebody's going to come to you for a service. They're coming to you. You have a retail location, right? And then there's service franchises where you're taking the service to them. Now, it could be at their home, business to consumer franchises, could be at their business, business to business franchises, right? So if you had to build out a store in a retail franchise, you're going to have a bigger investment because you're going to have to build out to the franchisor's specifications. The average retail franchise, it could be a hair, you know, some type of hair salon to nails to fitness to, you know, just about anything that's retail, um, you know, is going to be much more. But typically they run three hundred to $600,000 of retail franchise. And a good portion of that is, is, is build-out costs. Now, here's the thing that you have to understand also about costs. And then I'm going to talk about service. In see the F, the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC requires every franchise to have a franchise disclosure document. Okay, there's an item seven breakdown of all costs. So before you buy into a franchise, you're going to see the breakdown line item by line item, high and low of what you're expected to invest. You know where your investment's going. Now, one of the things that's unique about that is this. You have an initial franchise fee, typically $40,000, $50,000 nowadays, all right? But every other line item is almost pretty much what you would ex you would have as an expense if you were to open up the same business as an independent, okay? But they're just making sure you got all the you know expenses covered. So before you go into any franchise, you're going to have a complete breakdown of those costs, line item by line item. You'll know what you're getting into, all right? So going back to now retail versus service, service franchises, as I mentioned, typically you're going to someone and providing a service. Maybe you have some vans that you have to buy, right? Many of these are home-based. Some of them you may need a small industrial unit with a roll-up gate, or maybe you don't, all right? There's everything from lawn care to roofing companies to drain cleaning to, I mean, it's everything, painting and so on, right? So there's so many of these different services, but in a service franchise, 
the costs are usually one hundred to two hundred thousand dollars. And you scale that as you grow. So the more counts you get, you add on a van and a couple guys, right? So here's the one thing you do have to know. Just because you spent more on a service, uh, or excuse me, on a retail franchise over a service, does it mean you're going to make more in revenues? No. Okay. Because there are service franchises out there doing four, five, ten million dollars a year in revenues. And this was started on a hundred or hundred and fifty thousand dollars you know, of initial investment. So it's kind of crazy how that works. But guess what? Also in that franchise disclosure document, they share financial performance. And we could talk more about that too. Sure. So you talk about, you know, there's several different, you know, types of franchises. There's service, there's retail, there's, you know, senior care, there's all these different types of, um, you know, categories. Now, before we kind of drill into that, um, is let's kind of talk about the franchise agreement because, you know, obviously there's an upfront cost to getting into it. You know, again, one of the things I think people are interested in doing this is that, like you said, it gives you the ability to kind of be in business for yourself without having to take, I mean, any business is risky, you know, full disclosure, any business is risky, right. but being able to mitigate that and kind of take some of the guesswork out of your marketing, your exposure, your branding is a huge benefit that I am kind of gathering from this. But what kind of restrictions are put on you? You know, are these things, do they have a, do they have a spectrum of restrictions on, you know, what you can and can't do back to, you know, my analogy of changing the McDonald's arches to, to blue, um, you know, how much leeway do people have? Or are these things, or when you're buying into this, yes, you're in business for yourself, but these things can be very restrictive, you know, kind of touch on that, you know, what's the spectrum of that look like? Listen, when I think of franchising, I think less of restriction, I think more of opportunity. I think more about benefits, okay? So do they want you to market a certain way and position the brand a certain way? Yeah, but they've learned from hundreds of franchisees and doing this for some time that they can net higher results by doing it the way they've learned to do it, okay? So restrictions, yes, there's some restrictions. Obviously, you know, you brought up a good fact, but if, you know, if somebody owned a painting franchise, could they also... You know, decide if they wanted to do cabinets, could they add cabinets uh, uh, to or cabinet painting to the franchise? No, they would have to get that approved from corporate. And the reason why they may say no is because they've realized that if we do this model and we look at our throughput, you know, and just focus on what we're great at, we're going to do much better than than getting involved in this, this and this areas. In these yeah. areas, so yeah, it makes sense. And also, is, yeah. Now, in regards to brand standards for advertising, yeah, you got to maintain them. In regards to what a store is going to look like, definitely. In regards to hours of operations, of course, they're going to want to, you know, maintain a certain level of hour hours of operation. Keep in mind this: let's say I'm the franchisor and I'm awarding you a territory. All right, so you're representing the brand in that territory. You're our representative, all right? You're agreeing to represent the brand in a certain way, maintain certain hours, and really deliver on a certain mm -hmm. customer experience, okay? And they want to maintain that consistency. If you walked into McDonald's and you found out that they had egg rolls, it may be odd for you, and you're gonna, it's going to change your perception of what you can expect from them, right? Yeah. So, so that, that, I mean, so restrictions... Um, you know, usually most people aren't most, you know, at first you worry about that. 
But once you take a deeper dive, you come to learn that these things are the way they are because it enables you to make more money. Yeah, restrictions for a reason. You know, they're they're in place for that. But let's say from the S, and and that all kind of makes sense. And, you know, kind of, you know, you saying that kind of, you know, I I do agree with you, yes, that it's, you know, they're there for a reason because they're not doing it to try to, you know, keep you from being successful. They're to make you more successful in what you're doing. But to a different uh, avenue, is there any type of restriction on, let's say, other business activities that you might have? Um, you know, that example of, of a, of a painter, um, a painting company, could they also have a business or there, are there like kind of non-compete or like non, you know, conflicting interest things? Yeah, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. So I've helped a lot of people into a brand called Team Logic IT. Okay. Great IT company. What, what do they do? They provide outsourced IT to small to medium sized businesses. So 85% 85% of small to medium-sized businesses, they don't find it necessary to have an IT guy on staff. They hire a company, usually freelancers, but in this case, Team Logic, being the largest IT service franchise in the US, 200 locations, you know, if I had a five office radiology group, I would want, instead of having one guy working out of his house, I'd probably want to go to a Team Logic, right? So in speaking with many people that had interest in that, some of these people already had IT businesses and they wanted to, maybe they were selling hardware, maybe they were doing something else. I mean, it's a broad category. And I would say to them, um, listen, you can't have any conflict with Team Logic because I know you've been doing this IT stuff for 15 years, but the problem is this, how are you going to separate what's their revenues and what's your revenue? Because if you've been doing this 15 years, do you want to give up 7% of your sales that you've built up over seven years, you know, or 15 years, 7% of your sales to Team Logic? Because that's pretty much what you're going to have to do. So that's an interesting scenario. But other things like you can, many of these franchises are semi-absentee, okay? So could you, you know, I mean, I've, I've talked to all kinds of professionals that, will open up something that doesn't quite compete. But if it directly competes, what franchisors are concerned about are a couple of things. A, can you really provide the time and effort it takes to make this successful? Because they're they're awarding you a territory. They have certain expectations about the performance of that territory. If you're not able to live up to those expectations because you're not focused on it, because you have other business interests, you know, that could be a challenge, right? Um, But most of the time, that's not an issue, right? They, you know, somebody gets and finds a fitness franchise, they keep their job, they're still, they hire a general manager. So there's, there's in franchising, there is owner operator franchises, there's semi-absentee franchises where you, you know, keep your job and many people, are working from home, so they have some flexibility to start a, a franchise, you know, and and get management in place. And then there's even investor models. There's an investor model franchises where they require two hours a month. That's all you got to do. You're the CEO. You go over everything. It's your franchise. Two hours a month. They bring in they bring in a um, a management team for you. You pay an extra fee for that. 
Okay, great. And, and I'm sure like, you know, I'm sure there's some people that love the model so much that, you know, you, you can certain there's, there's probably not a whole lot of restrictions again, so long as it's not like a competing business where people just like franchises. Hey, you know what? I really, you know, we don't have oil changes in my place. You know, Jiffy, I don't know if Jiffy Lube's a franchise, but you know, I'm going to put a Jiffy Lube in or, Hey, like, you know what, you know, there's only a Wendy's. I'd like the, the McDonald's would do pretty well. I'm sure people kind of get into that. There probably, there isn't too much of an issue with owning multiple franchises if you like the business model, right? Right. No, it's not, it's not usually an issue. I'll tell you most of the people I work with, they're people in corporate America that um, are tired of, you know, having to punch the clock, have to answer to somebody, having to deal with what they got to deal with nowadays, the insurity, right? They want to kind of break away and they're, you know, they're capped out, you know, and, and they see other people getting into these franchises and all of a sudden starting with one and having five or 10 of them. I mean, that's most of the people never were in another business, you know, before. Okay. Yeah. And, and the funny thing about franchising is this, you know, and I think I mentioned this, 70% of the people that go into franchising never had experience in that type of franchise or industry before they went into it. Okay. Yeah. So. No. And, but that kind of leads into the the point that you made of, you know, you don't necessarily have to, because these businesses are here to look, to have people to expand and they want to give you all the tools to do so. So, you know, if you've never, if you've never changed so much as your oil in your truck, you know, and you see a need for it, you know, owning a oil change franchise, you can still be successful with it because of those tools that are put in place, um, you know, for people to kind of identify needs and then expand their business model to other places. So <clears throat> a few things that I've kind of jotted down a few notes here, uh, and I do have a few other points I want to get to, but <clears throat> when it comes to, you know, you mentioned performance, are there kind of minimum performance standards that someone has to meet? Or is it just, you know, so long as you're okay with what you're paying and it's still profitable or X, Y, and Z, or does, again, is that kind of on a spectrum of saying, hey, this has to do so much revenue for this to continue the franchise agreement uh, unless it gets revoked. Uh, can you speak a little bit to that of what that what that looks like? Listen, at some point, if they're not making money and they're losing money, you know, the franchisors, they want these people to succeed. Early on, if it's not heading in the right direction, they're going to be making sure that the corporate team is working with the franchise to identify the gaps. Here's what's unique about franchising, okay? I owned my own marketing company for years. And like, I didn't have a lot of marketing companies that I could say, oh, my labor cost was X. Here's what, what my marketing you know, expenses were, like the KPIs of a business. But when you're in a franchise, you have that data. So if you're not performing, first of all, you could identify the gaps pretty easily, right? The other part is you have to, obviously, you have to say, okay, once I've identified, is it marketing? Is it sales? Is it, it depends on what type of franchise it is. So you know, their franchisor will put a team on helping that franchisee, and there's a lot of resources that go to that. But yeah. let's yeah. say a lot of times what happens is Family stuff gets, somebody gets sick, right? Or something happens in their lives. Somebody gets a divorce. All of a sudden the business falters. Yeah, many franchises do have minimums, right? But, and and they could they could take away your franchise, all right? If you're, 
if if someone said I'm doing bad and I'm not going to try, and here's the thing, keep in mind, think about let's say if they were complacent uh, on protecting the brand and they operated poorly. Think of the other 200, 300, 500 franchisees that could be affected by negative social media, by bad customer experiences. They have an obligation to the whole system, right? To make sure that the customer experience is maintained, that franchisees do well. But yes, if they can't, eventually they're going to do something about it. They're just not going to let it go. But before that gets to that point, they're going to definitely put in a lot of time and resources in helping these franchisees succeed. And these franchisees, they don't have to pay any extra. That's all part of the deal, right? Yeah. So Yeah, you get that support system built in, which kind of, I think, leads kind of well into my next one about the differences in kind of choosing a franchise. I know there's there's more reasons why people would choose a particular one, but two things that I kind of wanted to focus on are, you know, obviously in any business segment, and we'll just call this franchising for the sake of argument, is that there's mature brands and there's new ones. Like you mentioned the Korean barbecue place that was on uh, Diners, Drive-Ins and Dives. You know, that's a new one. Um, is there a benefit to going with a new one? Is maybe the franchise fee less? Is the buying cost less? Is there a bigger, is the risk versus reward, like, you know, kind of buying into the ground level and, and expanding up? Uh, you know, what is the benefit or, or you know, what's the benefit and cost versus going with one versus another? Or is there really one um, in your perception of, you know, going with the Korean barbecue startup versus getting a McDonald's? Well, listen, um, First of all, you you have with more of a legacy brand or, you know, brands that have over 100 locations, you know, they have a certain infrastructure built up. They have better KPIs. They typically have better resources, you know. So overall, it's kind of a better scenario to go with an established franchisor because there's a lot more benefits for you. And I look at franchising when, you know, if I'm going to pay 7% royalty, and it could be 6 7 or 8 sometimes a little more, but, you know, I kind of stay away from those that are much more than that. I would, you know, the lower, always the better. All right. But, um, you know, I look at franchising and say, um, what's, like I said, what's the value that I'm getting and the established brands, they have more value, but why would I go for a newer, you know, startup brand? Right. So there are some franchise startup brands that just have amazing concepts, <laughs> you know? It's just crazy. Like, there's this painting franchise right now for, like, you know, people going into a studio and painting, and it's so unique. And, like, if you don't get the territory, it's going to be taken, and the model is simple, the profitability is there. It's just like, so sometimes, you know, if you look at an established brand and I want to, if I want to open up an established brand in Atlanta, Houston, Dallas, you know, Tampa, yeah, I may not be able to find the territory it's taken. Right. So sometimes we look at these emerging brands and we say, you know what, do they have a great concept? Do they have a great vision? Are they building the infrastructure? Yes. It may not be as great as an established legacy brand, but if you could see that they have a clear path and they've already had some wins under their belt and you do the right validation when you're speaking to their existing franchisees and going through your due diligence, 
you go into it with a little more a degree of risk, but sometimes it'll be worthwhile because it could be something that, you know, you're bringing it to, to a community. Like you take Orange Theory, right? Mm -hmm. There's like a thousand of them out there. They grew really fast. If you didn't get an Orange Theory early on, forget it. You wouldn't be able to get the territory. It's taken, right? And so there's a lot of those stories where I've seen franchises go from zero to 500 in two years. I mean, oh, wow. it's crazy. Yes, I've, I've seen it. This painting franchise, so far in like a year and a half, 150 units. It's crazy. All right. So and, and, and they're going to continue that on. I think they're going to, you know. So, again, it's one of those things that becomes like. So here's the problem. Most people that are going into this for the first time, they have no clue how to judge this stuff, right? That's where I come in, and that's where I help them, right? It's it's A, what's going to be a good fit for you based on, you know, where you're at in your life, how much you is comfortable to invest, all right? What skills and abilities you have, what goals you have, what's going to be right for the market, so there's a lot of what I call criteria that goes in to saying, okay, what's going to be a good fit for me? And it doesn't mean like, hey, I need experience in that. But if you have, you know, good communication skills, you manage people, you maybe you have some marketing or sales. I mean, so there's a lot that goes into this. But like I said, um, sometimes these newer brands are worth jumping on if, 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 you know, but not everyone, you got to be very careful. Yeah. So you have, so there's a few benefits and this additional question I have. So the benefit of one, if you are interested in franchising as a concept, it allows you to get into other mar markets that are otherwise saturated. You know, I live in St. Pete, Florida, you know, I'm getting a, a McDonald's here would probably be impossible. You know, it's one of the highest population density counties in the state of Florida. It's Right. developed. So, you know, you're not going to do that. You're not getting a Wendy's. You're not getting, uh, there's also, you mentioned Orange Theory. There's four of those places, um, you know, right near me. It gives me a headache every time I walk by. I don't know how people work out in those places, but you know, it's, they're, they're here. So you have the benefit of being able to utilize the franchise concept in a new area that otherwise you might not be able to, to get that early entry into a market. But is there any other type of like general, you know, is there maybe an enticing, is there, a, is there maybe a monetary aspect to that of starting with the new one is maybe the franchise, um, like the, the part of the gross revenue or gross profits, is that maybe a little bit less to entice more people to drive business? Is it all generally kind of the same? Like you said, 6%, um, you know, obviously the yeah. price, the franchising fee is going to be less because it's not a legacy brand. So that is probably going to be a smaller barrier to entry, but besides the, the benefits that you mentioned, are there any other things that people would look at for the startup versus the legacy? Well, listen, um, so first of all, I would say franchise fees um, aren't gonna be much different, the initial franchise fee, but that's not the big fee anyways, the big fee is the royalty. So, you know, sometimes these younger brands are like a point less. By the way, you know, a point less could be, you know, five to 10 grand a year times 10 years, so hey, you know, I'd rather have that fifty hundred thousand dollars in my bank account, right? Um, the other thing is, is that there's there's a fee um, called the National Brand Fund. Okay, so typically when you get into a franchise, in addition to paying the royalty, you may have a one to two percent National Brand Fund. 
okay? Rarely have I seen 3%. But what, what franchisees do, and you probably could understand that in the McDonald's analogy, you know, they do commercials, they build all kinds of websites, they marketing teams and everything. You know, somebody's got to pay for that. So they have a fee that all franchisees pay into. On more mature brands, they actually create a committee of franchisees, franchise owners that help decide on how those dollars are spent. On an emerging brand, there's not enough money usually if they have 10 or 20 franchisees to do anything big with it, right? But in McDonald's case, it, it becomes you know hundreds of millions of dollars, right? So the fact is, is on an emerging brand, um, typically that's usually only 1% instead of 2%. So there's some savings there. So lower fees, number one. The other thing that I sometimes find in regards to newer franchisees is the amount of territory they give. Usually a newer franchise company is going to give a little more territory. They're going to make it more enticing by giving you a bigger territory. So if you had a service company, what would you rather have? 100,000 households or 200,000 households? Yeah. Right? So, but that one that's 20 years, you know, legacy brand may only give you 100,000 households. Those are definitely some great points that you bring up with, you know, regard to, you know, is it going to be a little bit less? Maybe, possibly, but it's all relatively uniform on that front. Again, I think the big, you know, the bigger opportunity is obviously the growth, but inherently, you know, risk versus reward. There's a bigger upside for that. But the risk is that, you know, maybe maybe everyone decides that they don't want to paint, you know, after that, you know, and I think America is pretty well established that they're going to eat McDonald's cheeseburgers until, you know, the sun expands and swallows us. I think that's, you know, kind of, kind of established, but, um, you know, to maybe segue a little bit with that, that risk aspect, you know, everyone looks at the economy and to do something like a franchise, it's not an inexpensive endeavor. You know, there is significant capital outlay that you have to be okay with. And the risk of that, you know, faltering, just like you said, with any business, granted, the risk is significantly less with the business inherently failing. You have all that support with franchising. But talking about you know, the economy, it's something I look at every day in my job, you know, being in finance, I'm looking at, you know, everything with regards to all aspects of finance, and it's concerning to a lot of people. So how does, is franchising something that has, again, a bit of a buffer, I'd imagine with the additional business support, but what other kind of risk concern or maybe benefits do franchising opportunities have when you have market fluctuations, um, you know, down economies, recessions, let's speak a little bit to that. Okay. Well, I get a lot of that from my clients every day. You know, everybody's concerned about where the economy is going and should they invest or not, right? First of all, as we know, you know, if we invest in the market, the returns are questionable. My 401k went down considerably last year, right? So, you know, real estate, you know, I work with mortgage guys. They've been telling me it's like one of the worst times ever, almost as bad as 2008, right? So I think a lot of people are looking at this. They're scared and they're like, how do we how do we get ahead? Especially guys like my age that are looking towards retirement and saying, you know what? Is there a way where I could actually save money and hit those goals, right? So you got this recession. Now, think about this. If the economy gets worse, are you not going to do an oil change on your car? If the economy gets worse, 
Are you not going to allow someone to come in and check on grandma to make sure she's eating and taking her vitamins and she's got the care she needs, right? If the economy gets worse and you have a plumbing problem in your house, are you not going to call a service technician? Are you going to go to Lowe's or Home Depot and try to figure it out? I doubt it. Most yeah, people for sure. Can. All yeah. right. So, yeah, listen, there are some franchise categories that I would, you know, be concerned about, you know, uh, uh, but there's a lot of them that are what I'm going to call recession resistant. Okay. And that's what a lot of people are interested right now in. Right. Okay. And I'll tell you, you know, this, um, this issue with where we're at in the housing market, right? And, you know, with, with the interest rates and, and so on, um, more and more people are actually taking their homes and fixing them up now and doing what they can. So things like painting franchises and flooring franchises, all kinds of different service franchises, they're doing okay. And you know what? And when you get down to it, certain repair franchises, they're definitely going to do okay. And guess what? HVAC, HVAC companies, franchises, and things like home insulation, we're concerned about energy consumption, right? Mm -hmm. So, home insulation franchise could be a great franchise to get into about now because, you know, prices are rising and people are looking for ways to save on their energy bills, right? Um, and I even have an investor model version of that where you don't even have to work in the business or know anything about, you know, insulation to get involved in that. So, you know, I look at that and say, yes, definitely there's some concern over it. There are certain franchises that would probably be hit first. But I don't know if like a lady who goes gets her lashes done religiously every two weeks is going to stop. She'll find a way to pay that money because, you know, or people that need a haircut are not, you know, pandemic kept us from haircuts. Pretty much nothing else is going to. All right. So um, so I hope that was gave you some clarity on that. No, absolutely. Or unless your stylist up and quits and you don't want to have anyone else cut your hair, which is my issue right now. I am very <laughs> nervous about my haircut tomorrow because the same woman's cut my hair for eight years and. Ah, but yeah, well, no, I, listen, I, I, I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> it's, the minute my fa I think in maybe another 10 years, I'll be right there. The minute my family, it, it goes away when you hit, you know, 40, 45. So okay. eh, it is what it is. Can't do anything about it. So, you know, that's, that's all, you know, I, I really like the, the picture you painted of, you know, what can be riskier, what the benefits are of some of the, you know, what the benefits are in doing this in that you get some insulation where some of the risks lie and everything. And before we kind of get into just another question I, I popped in my head before we get into maybe some of the, um, you know, trajectory of actually doing this and how that actually works for clients that want to invest into franchising. Uh, you know, not, not to the failure point, but what happens if a company says, you know, we no longer want to do a franchise model. Uh, what happens in a scenario like that, where, you know, you have an operating business, you have branding, uh, you know, what happens in, in those cases? Are you saying that franchisors quit? No, like let's say the company no longer wants to run a franchise model. Like they, they if, if the company that that issued the franchise terminates the franchise agreement um, and just no longer. I, I really, I haven't seen that happen. What's more, 
what they do typically is they sell the franchise to private equity. All right. So if an owner that, you know, was franchising doesn't want to, now what I see is the other thing happening, like the vitamin shop. I don't know. They have two, 300 locations. They decided to franchise or maybe even 800 locations. I can't recall, but I know it's a huge number. So you see sometimes these businesses that are successful, that are national companies that have gotten to some degree of success deciding we're going to take this and franchise it now. That's interesting, you know, but like companies like Pet Supplies Plus, they have a lot of corporate stores. Whenever I see a franchise that has a lot of corporate stores, I'm like, wow, this must be pretty profitable if they have that many, you know, corporate stores. So I see that going on. If yeah. somebody wants to get out of fran I really haven't seen that. They typically will sell the franchise as a big asset and cash out and go, you know, live on a on an island somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. So now let's talk about kind of from the perspective of someone saying, you know what, uh, you know, I want to do this. What are some of the kind of steps that, you know, besides, again, identifying one that you want to do this two what you kind of want to do realistically, what are kind of the steps in the process? What do people look for in saying, OK, you know, here's the general things that I can expect. You know, if you're buying a piece of real estate, there's a contract settlement statement, deed insurance. What are some of the kind of things, not just paperwork wise, but what are some of the things that people can expect when they first start to engage? Um, you know, do you have to do like market research or do you just need to have the willingness to do this and the money, of course, to, to begin into that? So let's kind of start from the beginning and maybe walk us through how starting a franchise works. Okay. Well, starting to buying a franchise. Yeah, sorry. Buying that a franchise, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, my role when I work with hundreds of people doing this is to get them through that process. All right. And what I typically do is I educate people and I serve them as a matchmaker. But let's say we got to the point where, okay, we've identified some brands, okay? And now what happens next, okay? So first of all, you know, people go online, they look, they see all these franchises, maybe they've they drove by something that they, oh, they're always busy. Maybe I should look into that. You know, people come across franchises in many different ways. A friend will tell them, you know, oh, I, you know, this one, so-and-so had this type of franchise. They were so successful. Now they own 10 of them, right? So people hear these stories or they come across it. But let's say they get to the point where now they're connected with a franchise company. Now, franchisors all have a process. Keep in mind that, Franchise companies want to make sure that you're the right fit for them. You know, 30 years ago, if you if you were breathing and you had the money, you know, they'd make you a franchisee. Now they're looking for certain qualities in you. So there's a process. They have a franchise development or franchise sales process they all have. And it starts with an initial conversation. You probably filling out a form so they understand your qualifications. And really, they're looking for also, you know, do you meet their financial qualifications, right? So let's say you pass that and you had a great initial call. You got a good overview, all right? So there's going to be a series of calls, all right? And in this, you're going to be learning along the way. Now, I always tell my clients, you should be talking to two or three franchises at a time. You know, whether you plan on buying this other one or not, 
you're going to hear something from one franchisor. Maybe they're going to talk about their marketing. And then you're going to be talking to another franchisor about the marketing. And you're going to be asking smarter questions. Okay. Because you're learning. You should talk to several franchise franchisors at one time. The other thing is you're going to go through a process. They're going to tell you um, about how they make their money, what they call a unit economics call. This is our audience. This is how we operate. This is how we make our money. Here's how our sales mix is broken down. You know, this is how we operate. All right. Definitely have one of those calls. You probably have a call about how they get business, right? How do we get business? What is our marketing strategies? Do we have it in-house? Do we have, you know, are we using an agency or so on? Many franchisors, they have an agency, especially digital marketing. The, mar the company will do the marketing for all 300 locations at economies of scale where you're saving money and they've proven results and they get you to rank and you're, and you're generating leads. If you're a service company, they probably, and you'll probably want a franchise that has a good call center. So when a, when a, when somebody's looking, you know, and finds you and they reach out, if you don't answer that and you're not there to, you know, to basically either schedule an appointment or provide an estimate, if you don't respond, you'll lose that opportunity. That's why they have call centers and, and they're really good. So, you know, marketing, you're going to talk about, there's, I mentioned the franchise disclosure document. There's this big document that really required by the Federal Trade Commission that goes over every aspect of the franchise. Inside that document is, has, um, first of all, who are, the, who are the leadership? What makes, What's their experience? What's their background? What's their vision? Um, does the company have any litigation against them? If you were buying a franchise and you found there was heavy litigation against that franchise, run, okay? Um, have they had a lot of stores closed or locations closed and why are people retiring or are people failing, right? Um, they have a breakdown of the investment. Item seven is a breakdown of the investment, a low and high number. So you'll know exactly what you're getting into. Are there any fees that they're going to charge you? What's your responsibilities? What's their responsibilities? All this is broken down in the franchise disclosure document and the agreement. All right. And then you're going to have financial performance. OK, so what kind of money are, are these locations making? Now, what's funny about franchises is they they have some flexibility on what they report. So you'll find many of the franchises saying or putting in numbers based on their top 50 percentile. OK, so how do you find out, you know, whether this franchise is a great franchise or not? All right. Well, you're going to look at that information, but more importantly, in this due diligence process, you need to talk to franchisees, okay? You need to talk to actual franchisees, visit locations, ask the right questions, okay? And ultimately, they're going to invite you into a, what they call a discovery day, where you're going to meet with leadership and learn more and, you know, see the operation, uh, and visit locations and, and meet all the department heads. And they're, of course, not only are you investigating them, they're making sure you're a good fit. And ultimately, if that goes well, they will award you the franchise or ask, you know, hey, 
we've decided to award you the franchise. Are you in? Right. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how the process goes. But there's a lot of due diligence steps along the way to make sure that you're making the smartest decision possible and you know what you're getting into. Okay. Sure. Absolutely. Now, once you've kind of gone through that, what type of ways do people own these? I mean, is it something that you own in your personal name? Is it something that you that people buy through LLCs? Are there any type of restrictions or different ways that these things have to be structured in order to do it? Uh, speak to that a little bit. Well, most people are just going to start an LLC. You know, to, that's what they, you know, 95% of the people will start an LLC and have it in the name of the LLC. Some people have partners, you know, and they break up partnership shares, you know, in the LLC. So that's pretty straightforward. Okay. okay. And as far as like the initial franchising fee, are there any restrictions on how people can come up with that money? Is it something where the, you know, the franchise agreement stipulates that you can't just go out and borrow money in order to do that? Is there, are there stipulations on what type of borrowing you can be done? Does it have to be personal capital? Um, I know there are options for even using your retirement plan as well. Like I've had experience with using like Rob's plans and stuff. Uh, do any of those kind of play in and have restrictions with certain franchises or, you know, when it comes to actually, you know, stroking the check or giving the money out, what type of issues or what type of avenues are available to clients or to people buying franchises? All right. Well, let me, let me, let me share some information. Every franchise company has a uh, minimum um, liquidity requirement and a, a minimum um, credit score and a minimum uh, net worth. So they're going to initially, you have to satisfy those things to even be considered. All right. And, and the reason why they have it is, do you have enough money or do you have the ability to get financing? Right. So, you know, so you have to meet those minimum requirements to even be considered to get to step one. Right. Aside from now, on, I guess the funding side of it, um, how you fund that I don't think it's, you know, it's really what's going to be the best source of funding for you, okay? So you mentioned, you know, there's SBA, like you're either going to fund it out of money you have or you're going to borrow, right? So if you fund it out of money you have, you know, could you liquidate um, crypto? Could you sell off some stock you're not, you know, it's not that may not be in a 401k or something? Could you... Uh, sell a property to generate cash. You, there's a number of things that people do to, you know, and get even home equity loans or, you know, right now the SBA is really high rates. There's not many people that are going that route because you're having to spend so much more money on that capital that it's not worth it, you know, worth doing. A lot of people, the majority of people are actually using their 401k and you brought up Rob's. So obviously, you're a little bit aware of this, that you could use your retirement funds to fund a business kind of like, you know, you use your retirement funds to fund, you know, to buy stocks. So you could have a, you know, you could roll over that money into a business and not have the penalties and that typically goes with taking out that money. You're not going to have to pay the taxes on it. You roll it into a business and now you're controlling, you know, where you, how that, that performance, you know, what that, what you could do with it. So here's, here's an analogy that could be helpful to the audience. Okay. Let's say I have 400 K in my 401k. All right. <laughs> Just pick that number. And I decide, you know what, 
geez, it used to be 525, now it's 400. And I'm scared it's going to be 300. I worked so long to get it to that. And it's like being eaten away. Now, am I going to make money in the next 12, 24 months? What's the chances of that? And yeah, the cycles change and eventually I'll make money. But with, there's a lot of uncertainty, all right, right now. All right. So let me let's talk about what you could do in a franchise. I'm just going to use a scenario. OK. Let's say I don't know if people know there's an acai bowl concept. OK, we'll use that scenario. Let's say that the investment's three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, but you put in one hundred thousand dollars of your money and you, you know, well, if, if most people would finance it, if you're getting an SBA, all right, or if you're taking a 401k rollover, you're going to take all the money. But here's the thing. If you had that money in your 401k, like this franchise, they'll do eight, nine hundred thousand dollars a year in revenue. And let's say it nets 20 percent. OK, so you're making. All right. You're making 160 to 180. Okay, let's say you're making 150 to make it easy. Okay, so if you took out 350 and you netted 150 a year, you're doing pretty good on return on investment, right? Mm -hmm. So the fact is, with the right franchise, and if you like, it used to be where I could say you take 100 of your money and you get an SBA for 250, and you're using 100 of your money and you're able to do that, that scenario is even better, okay? But if you can't, if, you know, right now using SBA funds is a little bit, you know, it's a little bit crazy. Um, so nonetheless, either way, you could outperform what you see as returns on a typical portfolio in the stock market. So um, is there risk? Yes, but can you mitigate risk? Yes, through the right due diligence, to talking the other franchise, if they have 300 franchisees and they have a specific performance that could be validated, okay, then you could definitely mitigate risk. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's uh, most of the time when I, you know, talk to people in my professional capacity about Rob's plans, um, you know, I'd, I'm always a little bit leery just because of the huge innate risk of new businesses. But, you know, when people say, hey, I'm doing this for a franchise, Again, I can't advise clients on, you know, whether or not that's a better choice for them. Smarter people than me can advise them to that effect. But it definitely makes me a little bit less concerned about people, you know, putting everything into something with an 80% failure rate. Um, you know, it's just, again, it's definitely something if, if you're interested in doing uh, one with Rob's plans, I always encourage people that involves its whole other set of homework to do on those kind of things, because not only are you doing something that has a good degree of complexity, um, not to mention everything you're doing with the franchise agreement, you're also getting into some restrictive areas of having to have things structured in a certain way. You mentioned that a lot of people like to buy or hold franchise agreements in LLCs. Well, LLC benefits normally allow for pass-through, meaning that you know you're not taxed at a corporate rate. You get to pass it through to your person, your personal income. Um, you know, you do have the ability to keep things on the LLC side or pass it through. There's a, there's a lot of different ways you can play with that. When you go with the Rob's route, 
Well, granted, you don't have to pay taxes and penalties and things like that to inject the capital for the franchise agreement, but you have to structure it as shares of a C-Corp. So you're automatically electing to be taxed at a corporate rate for some of this stuff, which again, depending on your what you're looking to do and the tax savings may or may not be a good fit. But again, I always like to temper people's expectations when we bring that up because it's very enticing. You know, you bring up all these benefits of investing into uh, into franchises, which again, I think you've enumerated a lot of really good points. And I hope people really take this uh, to heart, if, especially if you're entrepreneurial, where you get a lot of the benefits of that without a lot of the risk. But again, um, you know, just understanding that not everything is, <laughs> you, you got to take the rose-colored glasses off sometimes. Yeah, and be very the, I, I will say it. this. I will say this. You got to be careful. You have to do the right due diligence. You probably need some help. Like mm -hmm. if you haven't been in the stock market, would you go out and just buy any stocks that, you know? I mean, so having a guy that understands franchising and being able to lean on him, you know, to make sure that, you know, you're seeing things clearly and you understand the big picture, you know, I, you, you have to get professional help but you also have to do the right due diligence. So yeah, it, you can mitigate most of the risk, but it, you know, you're going to have to put time into that, but it could be worthwhile. So just like anything, you don't jump and do anything, right? Don't make it happen fast. Be careful. Exactly. And that's why people in the professions like you exist and myself, you know, people, I, I encourage people always to do due diligence, but Talk to some people, just like you said, a big part of doing a franchise is talking to the franchisees. A big part of making decisions on the stuff is talking to people like you. And a big part of doing alternative investing is talking to people like me, of getting people that have seen a lot of this stuff to get a second set of eyes because you can read till you're blue in the face. But until you talk to someone that's actually been there or talk to multiple people that have actually seen it work, you know, again, you want to be, I think kind of the principle in, in franchising is that you're trying to get as much help as possible to be as successful as possible. So why wouldn't you front load that, you know, making sure that you're doing all of that, again, I think is a really great service. And again, that's that's what you do professionally, correct, Marty, is, is the advisory part. Or again, I, I have to be very careful how I use advisory. I'll let you kind of give the exact blurb of, um, you know, exactly your role in that. But also, you know, if people are interested in pursuing this avenue, how can people get in touch with you? Because we kind of need to bring this in for a landing. So, uh, you know, again, just kind of maybe give us a little snippet of exactly professionally, you know, what you do. And if people want to get in touch with you, how they can do so. Great. Thank you. I appreciate that. So I, um, really what I do, I'm called a franchise consultant. But really, I'm a franchise educator and a franchise matchmaker, okay? So I educate people about franchising and how to buy a franchise and what the due diligence looks like. And I help them identify what, you know, franchises could be the best fit for them. Spend tons and tons of time learning about these franchises. And um, and I'll tell you, it's it's there's a lot to know. Um, I want people to know that I don't charge them. And I know that sounds odd. How do I make my living? Very similar to a real estate agent. So if you buy a house using an agent, all right, you're going to pay. Um, well, you don't pay. The buyer doesn't pay the agent fee. The seller does. Right. So you don't pay me anything. I never charge you anything. I don't pressure people. I'm not, I don't have anything to sell. All right. I work with people. I educate them. I give it to them straight. We find some great brands. I turn them over to the franchise companies and they learn and they decide whether or not this franchise 
is worthwhile for them. If they decide to move forward with a franchise and pull the trigger and become a franchisee, I receive a referral fee from the franchise company that doesn't affect what my clients pay. So they never pay me anything. Um, and I'll tell you, I've been doing this long enough. I was in business long enough. I take this very seriously. I'm helping people kind of chart this new path for their future, right? And it's very important. They can't afford to make a mistake. So like I take this very seriously and I really want my clients to be a success. I love what I do. But um, if you want to get in touch with me, first of all, my website is smartfranchiseinvesting.com smartfranchiseinvesting.com and um, and my uh, email is marty at smartfranchiseinvesting.com you know there's links on my website to schedule a call so feel free to reach out I'm here to help and love to have a conversation fantastic Marty well thank you so much for being with us today I really enjoyed the conversation I hope everyone listening or watching really enjoyed it as well thank you for tuning in to the Altern tune in next week for more investing tips and strategies Want to hear more episodes of The Alternative Investing Advantage? Search podcast at advantaira.com and subscribe.